0: Little mini series we've been doing for the past called Plain Truth, because we're looking at Jesus's sermon on the plain, and I like puns, and so you're stuck with them. Uh, so we're going to finish up Jesus's uh, the the last part of this sermon. But before we do, I want to read you a story. Um, Mary Prudian actually gave this to me on Wednesday, and it just ties in so well with what we've been talking about. Um, so so listen to this, and I think you'll see how well it ties into what we've been saying. It says, following the breakup of the Soviet Empire and the subsequent destruction of the Berlin Wall in 1989, no two people were more hated in East Germany than its hardline former communist dictator, Erich Honecker, and his wife, Margot. He had clung tenaciously to com- communist ideals in the face of the rising tide of democratic opposition and was forced out of his position and home. Even the Communist Party, as well as the new government, rejected him. The Honukers found themselves hated, homeless, and destitute in Berlin. The nation was shocked when it learned that evangelical pastor Hugh Homer and his family took the Honukers into their home. Under the Honukers' 18-year rule, Christians had been discriminated against by the state and persecuted by the government if they criticized it. Margot Honecker had ruled East Germany's educational system for 26 years, and eight of the Homer's ten children had been denied higher education due to her anti-Christian policies. For months, the most hated couple in Germany were supernaturally loved and cared for by the Homer family. The new democratic nation saw Christ's love given to evil dictators. The Homers did to the Honukers what they wished the Honukers would have done for them. In Jesus' kingdom, his followers are to, by his grace, love their enemies, pray for them, bless them, and do them good. They are to turn the other cheek out of love and allegiance to Christ. These are the ethics of his upside-down kingdom. So that's a real true-life story of people who demonstrated this kind of Christ-like love to their enemies, to those who had mistreated and persecuted them, and, and the way that it impacted others around them. So thanks, Mary, for that story. I think that's, that's really... It's a true story, by the way. That, that actually happened. Christians who decided that they were going to love their enemies, because that's what Jesus said to do, even when it was hurtful, and even when it wasn't uh, well accepted, they decided to do it anyway. Uh, so that leads well into uh, this morning's message. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're going to get a bit of a running start, so we're going to start uh, in verse 43. We talked about this a little bit last week. I want to get a little running start into today's message. So this is what Jesus said as he closes up his sermon on the plain. He says, no tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. And we know this, right? If, If we... If I own a nursery and you come to the nursery and I say, why don't you buy this nice apple tree from me and hanging from this tree is pears, you know that I'm trying to pull one over on you, right? We all know that the kind of tree that a, a tree is recognized by its fruit. A peach tree is going to bear peaches. A, a apple tree is going to bear apples. So Jesus is taking what we all know to be true in the physical realm when he's applying a spiritual truth to it. And here's the spiritual truth in the next verse. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, Jesus is saying that that the kind of fruit that we bear as people is indicative of the kind of people that we are. So, and he's going to tie this in, in the next verse we're going to see, he's going to make this very, very clear, that those of us who say that we are something, it... It doesn't matter what we say that we are if our fruit says otherwise. If our fruit doesn't match up with what we say, then what we're saying is not true. And so here's the point he makes with this. Moving on to the next verse, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Jesus is saying, okay, so we know a tree by its fruit, every tree is recognized by its fruit, so those of you who are calling me Lord, those of you who claim to follow me, but you're not doing what I say, well then your fruit is betraying your confession. Your fruit is betraying your confession, and here's the point I want you to get from this. Too many professing Christians want Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Too many professing Christians want Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, and it's all or nothing. We don't get to have Jesus as Savior if we don't accept him as Lord. And what does it mean to be Lord? To be Lord means to be master. To be Lord means to be boss. You know, in the army, I have a master. I have a a commanding officer, and when he says to do something, I'm supposed to do that. That's, That's what it means to be Lord and master. Now, Jesus is obviously benevolent, and he's loving, and he cares for us, but he is nevertheless our master. And so Jesus is saying, why are you calling me Lord? Why are you calling me Master if you have no intention of doing the things that I'm saying? So if we back that up and we apply it to the context that we've been studying the past few weeks, Jesus says, why are you calling me Lord if you refuse to love your enemies? I've told you that if you want to follow me, you're to love my enemies in the way that I love mine, Jesus says. You can't call me Lord if you refuse to love your enemies. Why are you calling me Lord if you don't do what I say? He says, why are you calling me Lord if you don't want to do good to those who hate you? If you want to respond to evil with evil, if you want to respond to railing with railing, if you want to respond to to mistreatment with mistreatment, then don't call yourself Lord. Don't call me your Lord. Going on, he says, uh, uh, you know... Why? If you, if you don't want to be generous, if you're not going to follow my commands for generosity to, to those in need, then don't call me Lord, because you can't be Lord if you don't do what I say. Jesus says, if, you're gonna, if somebody's going to steal from you and you demand it back from them, then don't call me Lord. Because if you're following me and I tell you that if somebody takes something from you not to demand it back, don't call me Lord if you do that. That ought to oughta hit some of us right, right here. In this church, if you don't want to do good to those who are evil to you, if you don't want to love those who are your enemies, those who hurt you, then don't call me Lord. Why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? That's what Jesus says. If you don't want to take care of the strangers and the foreigners, the immigrants, and love your enemies and be generous to, to those who can't repay you in return, then don't call me Lord because I'm not your Lord if you don't do what I say. Too many professing Christians want Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, and it doesn't work that way. It's all or nothing. So Jesus moves on from this, and he tells a parable. He gives an explanation on on, on what this is like. He goes on, he says in the next verse, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, right, Here's here's the key, it's the people who hear, not just hear his words, but the people who hear his words and put them into practice. He says, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came and the torrent struck that house and struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. In other words, Jesus is saying that those who hear his words and put them into practice are like people who build their house on a solid foundation. We've talked about this before when we looked at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the similar record there. You know, I told you to imagine your dream house. right? Imagine what your dream house would look like. If you were to just you know, close your eyes and picture whatever that dream house looks like, whether it's in the country or, or maybe in the mountains or on the beach, and, and, and you, sp- you spend all of this work building your dream house, Uh, Jesus says the ones who put his words into practice are like those who build that dream house on a solid foundation. That when the storms come, then that house stands firm. But then he goes on, he says, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What's the difference between the two builders in this scenario? Both builders heard the same word, right? They sat there and they listened to Jesus's teaching. they were faithful to come to church every Sunday they even came to Jesus' midweek Bible study. they heard all of the words. They heard they, maybe even they took notes right and they maybe they shared some of those uh, some, some of those good quotes of Jesus' on Facebook or on Twitter and they, they told everybody you know that I heard a really, really great teaching from Jesus today. But then they go and they don't do what Jesus said. Jesus said they are like a person who built their house on the, on the sand with no foundation. When at the end of the day, none of that's going to matter. None of that time and none of that effort is going to matter. It's the ones who hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice. These are the ones who are going to have something that lasts. We can't call Jesus Lord if we're not willing to do what he says. That's one of the reasons that we're doing this entire series. That's why we're looking so closely at the words and deeds of Jesus. That's why we're re-examining what it means to be a Christian. Because, you know, for so long, you know, as, we, as we've sort of drifted off course from what it means to follow Jesus, we've got this idea that, that Jesus can be our Savior without being our Lord that if we just say some sort of prayer one time then all you know or if we just show up and put our put our seats in a seat on a sunday morning that all of a sudden you know we are you know we're going to be you know okay that that as long as we show up um, as long as we you know pray the prayer then then we're fine and we're good and jesus says this is not at all what it means to follow me somewhere along the line we've really lost track now, maybe this isn't true for any of you, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir like I, like I usually do, because you know, I've had conversations with you about this, but, but in, in our culture, in American Christianity, this is a real problem. People who say that, you know, oh, you know, Jesus, I'm, I'm saved, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I prayed that prayer one time, and now, you know, I'm just, I got fire insurance, right? Some people treat Christianity and the gospel like it's fire insurance. I, I pray this prayer, and now, I, you know, I, I won't burn when the time comes. But until then, it doesn't really matter what I do doesn't really matter how I live. It doesn't really matter how I treat my enemies. It doesn't really matter how generous I am to those in need. It doesn't really matter how I, how I treat foreigners and immigrants and refugees. It doesn't really matter how I treat those who mistreat me. All of that stuff doesn't really matter. It's just, all that matters is that I'm going into heaven. And Jesus says, what in the world? If Jesus heard that kind of teaching today, he would say, who, who are you talking about? I never said that. Did you read what I said in my sermon on the plane? Did you? I, I, I had... Uh, you know, I had Luke record that for a reason, right? I I had him write that down so that you would know that these are the things that I said and these are the things that I taught. Why are so many of you calling me Lord if you refuse to do what I say? Why are you calling me Lord if if you treat your enemies in the exact same way that everybody else treats their enemies? Why are you calling me Lord if, if you're only generous to those who can be generous to you? Why are you calling me Lord if you are demanding back from people when they take from you? That's not what I did. That's not what I taught you to do. I taught you to be different. Following me means acting like me in the world. And Jesus, when he was mistreated, what did he do? He loved the people who mistreated him. When he was being nailed to the cross, what did he say? He said, "Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing." So, who do you think that you are, American Christians, to say that you're okay to not offer forgiveness to the people who mistreat you? When I forgave those who mistreated me, he's saying, being a Christian, this this isn't easy. Nobody said this was going to be a piece of cake. Now he said, "I'm, you know, he said before he left, I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm going to empower you to live this way, but it's not going to be easy. It's, if it was easy, everybody would do it. There's a reason why, you know, there was only 12 who stuck around Jesus at the end because they knew the, the demanding aspect of what it was that he called them to do. Now, like so many things in life, I, we believe that the, the things that are the most rewarding take the most work, Right? I mean, most of us realize that if, if we want to get something out of something, we got to put something into it, that the things that are the most rewarding in life, right? Uh, I had no idea how, how much work parenting was going to be. People could tell me stories, right? People could say, oh, parenting's a lot of work. But until I had my own baby and realized like, how much work this really is, it's, it's a lot of work. It's very demanding, but it's incredibly rewarding. And I believe that's true with what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is, is saying that, you know, there are rewards if we live this way. He promises us eternal life and fellowship with him for all of eternity. There are wonderful rewards if we live this way, but we can't get to the rewards if we don't want to do what's necessary in the beginning. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, then our lives need to look like him. And our lives need to look like we're listening to and obeying what he's saying. And there's, we can find loopholes and excuses all day long, but Jesus isn't giving us any loopholes and excuses. Jesus is saying, there was no love your enemies except in this situation. There was no be generous to those who can't repay except in this situation. There was no, if somebody takes from you, don't demand it back except in this situation. Jesus laid a pretty clear standard. Because we're human, because we know that the standard is tough, we try to find exceptions and we try to find loopholes. But if we want to be followers of Jesus, we have to do what Jesus says. We can't have Jesus as Savior if we're unwilling to have him as Lord. If we want to have a a, a building that lasts, a house that lasts through the storm, through the judgment, then we have to not only hear the words, we have to do them. I've told you this before, that if you have no intention of obeying Jesus' words, it would be better for you to not come to church. Now, I know that I'm not supposed to say those kinds of things. So I'm supposed to try to get more people here. But really, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're going to be held responsible for the things that we know, right? And so if, if we get there and Jesus says, but you heard that I said you're supposed to love your enemies. You heard preach that you're supposed to be generous to those who can't repay you. You've heard that you're supposed to forgive those who mistreat you. you. That you're not supposed to demand back from those who take from you. You heard all of those things and you didn't do them anyway right? Now, we know that ignorance is no excuse of the law, but we hold people to a higher standard who know better, right? Little Madison, you know, she does things because she doesn't know better at this point, and so, you know, we, we can let her by because she doesn't know better. As she gets older, and I, and I it, instruct her in the way that she ought to live, then when she gets older and she doesn't do what's expected of her when she knows better, the consequences are going to be greater for her. So if we have no intention, if I have no intention of living like what Jesus tells me to live like. If I have no intention of actually loving my enemies in a real and tangible way, if I have no intention of being generous to those who can't ever repay me back, if I have no intention of forgiving those who hurt me and mistreat me, if I have no intention of not demanding it back if someone takes from me, then I really shouldn't call Jesus Lord. Right? I mean, that's, um, and, and if you don't, then please don't tell people you're a Christian, because you'll ruin it for the rest of us, right? I mean, how many times does that happen out there? Christians who, who want to live nothing like Jesus, and, and yet they, you know, they put Christian bumper stickers on and T-shirts, and, and their lives look nothing like him, and it, it hurts the cause for the rest of us. That's one of the reasons that we're in the middle of this series, the middle of this problem to begin with, because people who proclaim to follow Jesus but want to live nothing like him are hurting the message in the eyes of those who do. Why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? So I'm going to keep it short today because uh, I know we've got a meeting after this. So here's the bottom line. If Jesus is really my Lord, I'll do what he says. If Jesus is really my Lord, I'll do what, I say. I'll do what he says. Even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's painful, even when it's costly, even when they deserved it, right? Even when it could cost me my life. We saw the early Christians live this way. We saw them so committed to following the way of Jesus they were willing to give up their own life because they they knew that what was waiting for them on the other side was greater. That if they just obeyed Jesus, that what was waiting for them on the other side was so much greater. So I'm not, you know, this stuff isn't necessarily the easiest. But we have been given the Spirit of God. Jesus said that, that those who believe in me We'll do the things that I do in greater works than these. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit that will empower you to live like me. So it's possible for us to do this. It's possible for us to live this way. It's necessary for us to live this way. This isn't optional. Being a Christian isn't, you know, you know I, Jesus is Savior and, and the Lordship is optional. It, it, it's all or nothing with Jesus. We either follow him or we don't. And if we don't, then we need to be, you know, fine, be honest with that. But, but we can't have one without the other. If Jesus is really my Lord, I'll do what he says. So keep that in mind as we continue to, to go through the rest of, of this series, that, that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, means to become like Jesus. And it means to do what he says, to be obedient, even when it's hard and even when it's costly. Because those are the things that are, that are the greatest reward. Those are the things that bring the greatest reward. Nothing in life worth having comes without work and effort. Now, I'm not saying we're saved by our works. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. You know, we're saved by grace and not by works, but Jesus and Paul and James and everybody tells us that our faith is demonstrated by our works, right? So I'm not saying that you have to behave well enough to get into heaven. I'm saying that if we follow Jesus, this is how we're going to live because our faith is made manifest by our works because a tree is known by its fruit. If our works aren't Christ like, then we need to look inside and ask ourselves who we're really following. If Jesus is really my Lord, I'll do what he says. Let me pray. Lord, this this sermon on the plane has been challenging. Father, it's uncomfortable to love our enemies. It's scary, it's dangerous even to love our enemies. It's not easy to be generous to those who can't repay us. It's not easy to forgive those who've mistreated us. It's not easy to let go of the grudge when someone takes from us and not to demand it back. Father, it's not easy to do good to those who hate us. Father, you've given us a a very clear standard, Father, but a very demanding one we know that this isn't up to us to do in our own power. We know that you have promised that for those who put their trust in your son, that you will give them your spirit, that you will empower them to live like Jesus. So, Father, open the eyes of our heart, enlighten us. Father, where we need to be convicted, convict us. But, Father, make that conviction something that spurs us on to change. Father, even as I preach this, I'm convicted in my own life, in areas where I know that I need to grow and I need to change, and I'm sure that that's true for others in this audience. So Father, help us not to fall into condemnation, but let this conviction set our hearts ablaze, let's set our hearts on fire to make us want to do better, to make us want to please you in our actions. Father, help us to live this way, help us to be the kind of people so committed to following your son, to loving our neighbors and our enemies, to committed to just outrageous generosity. God, help us to, to, think, through th- to think through things in a different way, to, to have your eyes as we approach life. Father, as we move into this business meeting, I just pray that you'd continue to open our eyes and our hearts. Help us to Look five, ten, fifteen years into the future as we think about the kind of church that we want to be, the kind of Christians we want to be, the kind of people we want to be. Help us to catch a glimpse of your vision for this church and this community and each of us as individuals. Help us to, to just burn for the things that set your heart on fire. Help us to see the people around us the way that you do. Help us to see the mission that you've laid before us and give us the courage, God, to pursue that mission with abandon, to leave everything else behind, knowing that as we, as we leave our life behind, that you have promised that the rewards are greater than anything that we could ever ask or think, that the, that the thrill of the adventure is greater than anything that we could ask or think. God, help us to, to shed any fear that we may have of what it means to follow you and just trust you wholeheartedly as we know that you have what's best for us in mind. I thank you for these people. I thank you for their faithfulness to be here week in and week out, for their faithfulness to serve, for their faithfulness to love you, for their faithfulness to give generously, for their faithfulness to, to listen to me, for their faithfulness to love their families and their neighbors. I just pray that you would continue to use us, God, in, in new and bigger ways as we move forward. I thank you for this truth in this Sermon on the Plain. I thank you for the rest of the truth in the book of Luke as we move forward, that you would continue to transform us more and more into the image of your Son. Father, I thank you for these things in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord.